Welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined as usual by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael like to discuss the most ubiquitous things of a given topic. And this week is no different as we discuss the Mount Rushmore of guys in drag. Now, this is a topic that I chose, and I have long been entertained and um, interested in performance and in many times throughout history men have taken on the roles of women and vice versa we're going to talk about men in drag and it might be bugs bunny dressed up like a female wabbit in an animated thing or it might be um uh somebody playing uh juliet in shakespeare's romeo and juliet but i think it's very interesting when uh men for whatever reason take on the roles of uh women in comedy and drama and whatever and so today is the mount rushmore of guys in drag yeah so uh richard i would like for you to start all right so my first choice is probably the most successful drag queen of all time sure rupaul slash RuPaul on my list as well also good. okay all right is it because uh rupaul started at a like did he become famous at the exact right time when he needed to be famous that he became so ubiquitous and so accepted in a culture that, you know, in the early early nineties specifically like was not into gay men. Not particularly. Are we talking about gay or drag? Well, no, but I mean, that's a drag performer who is gay. Okay. Yes. Yes. In this, in this one's like, I, I was thinking about this topic a mm-hmm. lot and thinking about like the personalities of uh, men who dress as women for mm-hmm. for show. I yeah. mean, I, if we're talking about I mean, it's all for show. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and in, I mean, in this specific aspect, RuPaul is a drag character. Yeah. There is also the person RuPaul Charles, who if you like, I don't know if you guys ever watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag there. Bugs Bunny, our co-host. <laughs> oh, we're fun. Let me, let me redo that. I don't know if you guys ever watch RuPaul's Drag Race. D- I don't no. have a basic cable. Neither do I. I just steal it from other people. Well, there you go. Is the FCC listening to this? <laughs> oh, fucked. Um, essentially, there is there are the two personas almost. There is the RuPaul, who is the host of the show. Mm-hmm. And whenever they do the challenges and the judging and all that, comes on with the glamorous outfits and the hair and is kind of does the catty bitchy sort of... RuPaul stick. Mm-hmm. And then there's RuPaul Charles, who is RuPaul as a male, bald, kind of, you know, middle-aged black guy. Also very, very well put together, very, very fashionable in, in mm-hmm. clothing and stuff, but um, a little bit more toned down, a little bit more of a a, a natural persona. Mm-hmm. Still with some of those elements of, of the RuPaul character, because obviously that's... They're kind of one and the same. Yeah, you draw those elements from your character whenever you yeah. create whatever your drag persona is. Mm-hmm. But it's two. It's it's definitely a very much a split between there's RuPaul and then there's RuPaul Charles, and you can't say they're two separate entities, but they're also not exactly one and the same either. Yeah. And so we were asking. You were asking about whether or not it was kind of a specific point in time that worked for RuPaul to be like RuPaul. And it, I don't know, man. It's just it's interesting because. There is no world, there's almost no world where, where RuPaul should still be, not just a, a an unknown person in 2017, but like a really super successful host, singer, 
actor, executive producer, a media conglomerate. By all rights, RuPaul should be, you know, in some sort of like... The the kitsch and the stick should have faded from... By 1998, yeah, that sort of thing. The only thing we should know, we, it, only, only time RuPaul should in th- really come up would be if Michael Ian Black is referencing it in an "I Love the 90s mm. type show. I mean, just just from the standpoint of he had it, it, he, in he, 1995 he, he, or whatever. Yeah, he had, had the supermodel, had song. supermodel, and it was kind of you know great for like six months. And those sort of artists just sort of go away. They become right said Fred, right? They become a where are they now sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But RuPaul just kind of got a foothold in there. And by being charming and entertaining and all, you know, I think, I think there was also like just an honesty of his persona. He never like seemed to live it down. He never hid anything Mm -hmm. about it. I think maybe sometimes, uh, people that play kind of big, um, outlandish characters as well tend to not like he seems to have married that life Mm -hmm. of his character to his persona and vice versa can slip in and out of it and also do things outside of like that persona as well. Like you were saying that kind of helped, uh, you know, uh, elongate Mm -hmm. his his career. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a funny interview on Mark Maron where he RuPaul talks about the origin of the, of his drag character as emerging from punk and as a musician, he would perform in a category he called gender fuck. Gender fuck, yeah. yeah. So I, I find that wherever he has ended up, he did not come to it from the same uh, place that previous drag uh, performers did. He kind of came through through a lot of people, artists who in this era uh, came from the place where the thing that we knew was destroyed, i.e. punk, <laughs> right. did the music, and you came out from a new place. There's a movie called Wigstock that came out early 90s, I guess. Mm. would have been right before RuPaul became a thing. And I think RuPaul is in it like be, right before she becomes like famous. Mm-hmm. And it's about this. It, it's Wigstock is basically was the major like drag convention meeting party in New York every year. And so they follow a, around a lot of the big drag celebrities at the time. Someone named Joey Arias, who basically does a spot on Billie Holiday, a uh, lady, Miss Bunny, who was five, remember correctly she was actually RuPaul's like mentor mm-hmm. and it, a young Paul Ryan oh uh, uh, yeah he was, was in there yeah remember yeah. that doing Liza uh, Minnelli Liza Minnelli a spot on spot Liza on. Minnelli I should point Liza out Minnelli. but you watch that and you remind if you watch that you'll be reminded or you'll kind of be shown that a lot of especially back then drag was super raunchy mm-hmm. like it was not not for families yeah. it was not not something that was cleaned up or at all. And I think RuPaul has been able to kind of present sort of a more accept now it's yeah. acceptable. We'll say more uh, um, um, uh, 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 kind of been able to find that balance between still keeping that really kind of like edge mm-hmm. of drag, but also presenting it in a way that's more sort of the general public can embrace. I, th- I think it helped in a sense, and this kind of sounds a little shallow that he's like a very beautiful person like you know i think that there i know another choice of mine later on is very much (laughs) not a beautiful person in drag but like he kind of is is it dame edna (laughs) should have been i thought of that but no uh like he he's a he's a beautiful 
man. And I think that helps when you're in the entertainment industry that, oh, someone that is just instantly kind of eye appealing. And you're like, oh, okay, I I can see why you are popular. Mm -hmm. RuPaul is just just from an an image point of view, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't I I hate to use word non-threatening because then it brings up all these sort of like threatening. What do you what's it threatening about? But I mean, I think just to the general world at large, RuPaul is able to be sort of non-threatening, but at the same time, not sell out and not, you don't feel like that, that RuPaul isn't being RuPaul, but is able to, to, to sort of like mo- modify sort of based on the audience, what level of RuPaulness that you get. She can go on the Today Show and be like one version of RuPaul mm-hmm. and then on you know, RuPaul's Drag Race to be a different version or maybe even, you know, in a live appearance, be completely even 100% RuPaul. Well, I th- you know, it's... And it's tough to do that and feel authentic. I think... Right? I think the longevity of uh, his career, I think, is interesting in that, like, some drag shows, that, uh, there is an entertainer that's going up and is acting out as Liza Minnelli, as you said. He was never playing someone else. Yeah, he was always playing a version of himself, actually singing. Yes, or and or acting or whatever they were he was doing. It wasn't like quite an homage to some other a celebrity that had come before. It was like, oh, I am my own person mm-hmm. in totality. And RuPaul feels almost more like a Jeff. I don't know if you agree, if you would agree with this, I think this is your world. <laughs> I can't. Wait. No, no, no. It's <laughs> the idea of RuPaul almost feels like one of those celebrities from the seventies yeah, who were like celebrities, even though you didn't really know why they were celebrities. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who love RuPaul in 2017 Mm -hmm. who don't, had never heard of supermodel or weren't alive yet. Mm -hmm. You know, when when that first came out and just sort of know RuPaul as a celebrity, Mm -hmm. someone who's funny and someone who's entertaining and I'm used to being on TV. Yeah. Yeah, Someone you would see on the gong show or something like that. (laughs) You know, maybe RuPaul's the modern day, like JP Morgan or like a Phyllis Diller (laughs) Uh or something like that. You know, one thing I think has, uh, that, well, if RuPaul is anything, he's a diva too. And there's, there was the rise of the divas. I think you see all these women who are very powerfully expressing their identity and are being kind of recognized for that. So I think it doesn't hurt that he's on the television in this kind of this era where the strong personalities is, has a voice. Okay. So Michael, uh, you are going to deliver to us your second choice. Am I right? Uh, my second choice. Yes. Is, uh, an actor playing a part in a movie and it's, you know, in 1993, 94, 95, three movies kind of came out back to back that all featured kind of drag uh, characters. Titanic. <laughs> 1997's Titanic was all in drag. Right. The boat was actually a mailboat. Mail Not a sailboat, but uh, a mailboat. Um, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, to Wong Fu, thanks mm-hmm. for everything, everything Julie, Julie Newmar. Newmar, and The Birdcage. Uh, and the last one I'm going to talk about is Nathan Lane's character of Albert. Um, great movie. Uh, yeah. Really great movie. Uh, like, I, I, I haven't seen it in a while. Now I want to see it because it's such a good movie. <laughs> uh, really fun. His character, Albert, is a, a very fam- flamboyantly gay man who stars as Starina yeah. in, uh, you know, uh, a Miami uh, nightclub, mm-hmm. gay nightclub mm-hmm. run by uh, Robin Williams. Uh and it's all about like, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a drama. It's a, 
you know, it's a very Three's Company-esque drama yeah. about... It's a lot of swinging doors. It's kind of a farce. Yes, yeah. farce. Yeah, well, yeah. And uh, his character is so... He's so well done and so believes himself to be this huge star when he's in this role, when he's in drag and when yeah. he's in Starina, yeah. that you totally believe everything about him. You mm-hmm. believe that his life is just, you know, this weird, fabulous lifestyle of just living in Miami uh, with his boyfriend. And he's so put upon by the requests of him to appease the conservative mm-hmm. family that's coming. And he's so like himself really only when he's in that role on stage yeah. too. Yeah. Like everything, all the, pretense and the fluttering kind of falls away mm-hmm. and he's just so confident and just owns that personality yeah. and is where he's, you know, kind of really truly comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Nathan Lane is such a strange like personality as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Uh, but he really just captures it just, yeah. just nicely. In Nathan movie. Lane's personal identity, or at least as it's seen on interviews or things already seems to be somebody out of the forties or fifties. He has, he's got kind of a nasality to his voice. He already mm-hmm. seems to be Nathan Lane, like RuPaul, Paul Charles, Charles playing, as a character. Yeah, playing yeah. Nathan Lane. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up how, um, much that character is alive and complete in their performance identity. And every day that they are not uh, in that performance identity, walking around, going to the market, dealing with the relatives mm-hmm. of the of the in-laws is a compromise <laughs> of their identity. And so I think that's a fun um, observation that in some cases, when we see a drag character in the setting of a, a television show or a film, they are their life is really what happens when the music starts and the spotlight goes on and everything else is just this other thing that, that they go into. I haven't seen it in years. Please remind me. Is It's Robin Williams' character that they're supposed to be playing straight for like his kid, right? And his kid's in-laws? Yeah. That right? It's, it's, it's a Robin his, Williams' character that's supposed to be like... Yeah, he's... he's his son is marrying... Uh, Gene Hackman's Gene daughter. Hackman's daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, he Gene Hackman is like a conservative senator or yeah. something or other, and uh, he has to yeah he has to play very conservative and straight later mm-hmm. in, and then of course Nathan Lane Nathan comes. Lane comes and you know wrecks uh, everything. Well, he comes in and adopts the only role that he knows how to play, which is a woman. Yeah, the only comfortable thing. So he comes in and plays uh, his wife basically in, yeah. dra- in a different form of drag mm-hmm. as, a, as a performance uh, in front of uh, Gene Hackman at all. What's the fun. Um, I, I think this was an Elaine May ghost, right? And in our last episode, we were talking about soundtracks and for some reason I wanted to bring up Ishtar. And uh, when we were talking about the spinal tap soundtrack and listing things, I really want to hear how this goes <laughs> in spinal tap. We mentioned the songs that are created by this mythological uh, heavy metal band and how they're clever, but not too clever for rock and roll. And in Ishtar, there are these boneheaded uh, singers and the awful songs that they are singing were written by Elaine May. And in a way they're so poetically awful. They could never be written by these idiots because they almost transcend <laughs> the awful. Transcendently. Well, you, just, yeah. you kind of explained Ishtar in a nutshell, yeah. right? Transcendently yeah. awful. Transcendently awful. But uh, in the scene where um, Robin Williams is trying to instruct um, before they give up the facade, Robin Williams is trying to instruct Nathan Lane on how to walk in a masculine way. 
and ultimately he has him walking exactly like John Wayne uh-huh. and then realizes that it looks very feminine uh, when it's actually por- portrayed. It makes me, I, I love that this is in a nutshell, the very idea of what drag is and what gender is, is performance. And so that's, I think, just a fabulous moment in there. Okay, moving on to Richard's second. Okay, so my next choice. Look, there's a history of drag in theater that goes like all the way back to the Greeks, right? But as long as there's been theater, there's been the idea of males playing female characters, yeah. you know, for, for sure. a variety of for a variety of good or not very good reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in comedy, really, I think it just stretches back to Monty Python. I think that's as far back as drag goes in comedy. It's just <laughs> Monty Python. However, while the Monty Python characters um, did a lot of drag, it was always this sort of idea, right, of like part of the joke was, hey, look, it's guys in drag. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of artifice behind it and it almost became part of the comedy of it. But if you look at a group like kids in the hall, mm-hmm. they were a group where it felt more like they were dressing up as females for these parts, basically because they didn't have any females in the group. Mm-hmm. And so they were, I think the other group that's very well known for having male characters, you know, male performers, doing female characters. And if I had to pick one person out of that group, it was Dave Foley. It, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. Um, he just always felt he was the most natural playing a female, like whatever it was, like the, whatever the vulnerability or sort of like yeah. characteristics that you need to tap into play, uh, mm-hmm. not just be like a guy playing a female, yeah. playing a female, but actually become a believable female. Mm-hmm. He was able to capture that. So in a lot of the, I, I would always notice that if they'd have more of a melancholy sort of like skit or something that wasn't just straight comedy, which yeah. sometimes they would do, a lot of times they would cast him like as the female lead in the role. And again, it, it just, it never felt, it just never felt like it was, hey, isn't it funny? Look, he, look, at he's dressed up in drag. Yeah. It was just more, we are writing female, this scene has a female character and we're an all male Troop, so we're mm-hmm. gonna just, you know, become this female character, and it's just becoming a character like it would be becoming any other character. The only difference is it's just a difference in jo- in gender, along with whatever differences that character has. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that most men play women like a the Boonraku puppet, where the, the puppet is something that stands in front of you and you control it. But the puppeteer is standing behind it and very visible. Like they don't embody right. it. They want to make it clear. Look, I'm not this person. Okay, I'm just manipulating. Which this. I think what the Monty Python sort of like drag always kind of was. There's yeah. that element of artifice around it. Yeah, and I think Monty Python still lived a little bit in vaudeville, and a lot of their topicality was class and roles within class. So I can see why, if you're playing an upper class character or a lower class character or a female. Um, Maybe the intent was to play it very broadly, but Foley and Scott McCauley or Scott, uh, who who was the one who was actually Scott Thompson, Scott Thompson. It felt like they were playing empath- actually Canadian. Is that what you say? They were all Canadian. <laughs> Empathy, uh, sensitivity, actual nurturing characters, right. things that are very general generalizing, but actually positive female qualities right. in a sincere, authentic way, as opposed to I'm parenthesizing everything. Right. Also, Dave was the hottest of the of them in yeah. drag. And yeah. There's not even a question about this. I mean, he looked like Isabella Rossellini in drag. Like, it's not like even like 
like I've read interviews where people interviewers are like so many crickets right yeah. now that I can insert in here. <laughs> no, I, this is this is like a visible boner. No, this is like a thing. Like 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 yeah. I've I've read a lot of interviews with Dave Foley where the interviewer at some point says, "Oh, so what did it feel like being the hottest like uh, girl really? or something yeah. like that? Yeah, or like record. or like literally like." Yeah, one of my friends like said he could never watch an Isabella Rossellini movie again because he kept thinking of you in the same part. Oh, that's hilarious. So it's just it's this weird and canny thing. Uh-huh. Any hoot. Okay. Hey, gang, you've come this far. We appreciate you being a listener to the Mount Rushmore podcast, and we want to give you something. Well, actually, Audible wants to give you something. For you, the listeners of the Mount Rushmore podcast, our bros at Audible are offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So you could go to Audible uh, and you could go listen to Fiercely You, Be Fabulous and Confident by Thinking Like a Drag Queen by Jackie Huba and Shelley Stewart Kronzbergs. You can go listen to that over 180,000 other titles. Audible has so many books that you can hear instead of read with your eyeballs. And with Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Rushmore with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle player, or MP3 player, or electronic football player. To download... Oh, really? Your- <laughs> <laughs> To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Rushmore for your free, free, free me, feel me, touch me, feel me. I believe it's also available on your Intellivision. Your Intellivision. (laughs) Guys, do us a favor. Go back. Listen to past podcasts. That's that's uh, that's it's like uh, Christopher Walken, but from New Jersey. So, guys, I thought you were doing Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, I think it's <laughs> Steve Carroll as Gru from. Okay. <sighs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Uh, nobody let's, else does it. Let's go with it. That was cool. so, so, guys, seriously, I'm here all by myself. Richard and Michael are gone, and I want you. I want to ask you something. Do I sound fat? on the microphone because I feel like I've been getting fatter. I feel like you could tell in my voice like my neck feels like it's got more fat on. Um, do me a favor. Go back and listen to the old episodes and see if I sound skinnier then. Uh, go back download and like leave how fat you think I am of my voices at the earliest episodes. Did and then- Jane Gum from... <laughs> hey guys, what are we talking about hey, in here, huh? Well, I hope you find the girl. She looks size 14. Are we talking about how fat Jeff is? Guys, stop it! Really, stop it! <laughs> oh God! Okay, so comedy, everybody. We comedy. Are we are back, uh, and we are discussing the Mount Rushmore of guys in drag. Michael, your third choice is what? My third choice is a song. Oh, are you serious? Isn't life a song? Oh Sometimes? yeah, yeah, sure it is. It's a song called Andrew and Drag by the Magnetic Fields. Oh, so, for wow! Sake. So I will play a little snippet of that. The only girl I ever loved was Andrew and Drag. of unrequited love which i guess is like every Art, well, yeah. every Stephen mm-hmm. merritt song but it's it's kind of about this uh man that he sees on stage 
in drag and he thinks he's so beautiful. What's that man's name? His name is Andrew. Oh, okay. Good. Mm. Just so clear. And how it will, you know, like every, every song of his, it will forever be unrequited. He kind of oh. realizes that this man isn't a gay man in drag. He's just on there enacting a part. Oh, he, I, it's I, not Lola. It's not Lola. It's, which is why I thought you were going to, and I was about ready to get all up in arms about how that wasn't drag. That's something else. Right. Well, I'm okay. Are you, oh, did I step on your shit here? No, no, no. Okay. I just like, <laughs> Like, I like that you presented a case in which you would potentially be angry at me for something that I haven't done. Like, what is that? It's marriage. That's what it is. So, get me Y'all. out of this thing. Y'all are beautiful. Uh, imagine this all enacted like over like Google chat. This is yeah. what, this is what it used to be like. And now, Jeff, we, now Jeff, we have these these sessions. Jeff, were you doing a Paul Lynn impersonation there? No. I hate people. Hell. Uh, I guess... What, I mean, I, I like the song in general. I think it's just a, a fun song. And I think that his ability to rhyme uh, drag with every other word that ends in A-G oh, is yeah. just, mm-hmm. it's immaculate. Uh, so I think that there is like kind of this weird presumption that people have if a man is dressed up as a woman that they're also gay. And mm-hmm. I don't think that always is the case. And this specifically in this song isn't the case. Yeah. He's just a man who's performing and in that performance his character, Stephen Merritt, you know, for this song, fell mm-hmm. in love with this person, but kind of realizes, oh, I'm in love with this man that's dressed as a, as a yeah. woman, yeah. even though I'm not really attracted to women. Right. I'm not attracted to right. yeah. uh, to non-gay men or whatever. Well, I think there's something specific about drag that is performative. Yes. Right? Whether you're a male actor playing a female character or playing a male actor trying to play a female character or someone like RuPaul who is a drag queen or we can get mm-hmm. into Various versions of this in my last couple of choices. But like, I wouldn't put Eddie Azar on there. That is exactly the note that I have. Okay, good. Down. Oh. Uh, See, it, we can't agree on things. Yeah, it's nice. So Beautiful. Lay off me. Okay. Uh, in the his stand-up special, Dress to Kill, uh, he talks about being an executive transvestite, mm. where he is a straight man that just likes to wear dresses and likes to wear makeup and how, and how difficult that was to try and go in the army. Right. I think was, uh, I yeah. think was the ultimate bit that came out of it. But I think that there is a yeah, action, action transvestite. <laughs> I think is what he called it. Yeah. There was a, um, a, you know, there's a difference between, uh, drag and sexuality. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's something that should, I, I, especially in that standup, he looks to kind of, counter that and to be like, oh yeah, uh, most transvestites are in this case, you know, are straight men. They just love dressing up as, mm-hmm. as, as women. I think he calls himself like a, a, a male tomboy or a female, something like that. Yeah. Female tomboy mm-hmm. or something like that. Male tomboy. Yeah. Male tomboy. And, uh, I don't know. I just thought that this kind of song kind of harkened to that, to kind of a recognition of, oh, this, I'm loving this performance and I love what this is, even though it will never amount to anything. Well, that's an interesting observation of how much the observe, the observation of a drag character makes you ask strategic questions about your relationship with how you feel about it. And then why you feel that way about that. And then you can sometimes find these different compartments in your, uh, in your gender identity (laughs) that you get to go, Oh yeah, well I, this, but I don't that. And, uh, this has informed like all art. This is, uh, taught me something about what it is to be human. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Richard, what do you got? Hey, remember like way back when, like 10 minutes ago when I said that um, 
all comedy drag starts with Monty Python. Yeah. Really, I meant it all starts with something like it hot. Oh, okay, okay. And so my choice is Jack Lemon as Daphne from Some Like It Hot. Fun. And it's funny, this movie is made it's just, this was made in the Hayes Code era, but oh. they didn't actually submit it to the Hayes Code. Oh, they didn't? Which is like why it was banned in Kansas and oh. the, the Hayes Code people came out and said it uh-huh. you know lacked moral decency mm-hmm. and then was nominated for like six Academy Awards. Yeah. And it it turns out it was kind of one of the movies that sort of even the Hayes Code lasted until like the mid to late sixties, uh-huh. I think. Kind of after this People stop. A lot of film studios stopped submitting stuff mm-hmm. to the Hays Code, so it kind of oh. broke oh, did those it? boundaries. Oh, yeah, interesting. which I think is for the movie. It's important because this movie never would have worked if they had to submit yeah. it to the Hays Code. Yeah. You know, it, it, even the, the ending very profoundly. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. I mean, the ending itself. Yeah, you know the whole. You know when. Jack Lemmon's trying to explain to uh, Joey Brown yeah. as the old rich millionaire why he'll never, their marriage will never work. Yeah. And they get to the, well, you know, I'm, I'm living with a, living with a trombone player. And uh-huh. the, I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's the, perfect. Mind. Yeah. The, the end <laughs> just takes off his I'm a man. <laughs> yeah, nobody's perfect. <laughs> never in a million years could you've got that three yeah. days code. Yeah. Um, you know, Jack Lemmon. Oops. So Jerry, which is Jack Lemmon's character, he's uh, between the two of him and Tony Curtis. Mm-hmm. He's the one who really gets subsumed by the, the female persona that he has, Daphne. Yeah. I mean, so so much to the point that he winds up kind of getting swept up by this Joey Brown character. Mm-hmm. And they have that scene where when, when after he proposes to Daphne, you know, Jack Lemmon comes back with Tony Curtis and he's. Super excited and starts yeah. thinking about planning the wedding. And Tony Curtis is trying to talk him like, how is this never going to work? What are you going to do on your honeymoon? Well, we were thinking maybe Milan. Or, yeah. I mean, it's not that much of a stretch. And I know we talked about, we just talked about drag, not necessarily being about gender or but not definitely being about gender. I know we talked about drag, not necessarily being about sexuality, but oftentimes it is. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you could pretty easily read this as a movie about Jack Lewis' character realizing that he's gay. Uh-huh. Except even Hayes Code or not, they can't come out and say that in 1958. But if you look at the ending of the movie, I mean, there's that, you know, the nobody's perfect scene, which is like maybe the greatest button of any comedy yeah. in history. But the, the end flashes on screen right after that. And then there's like a few seconds of like Jack Lemon reaction mm-hmm. and his reaction isn't like, I'm disgusted by this yeah. or, Oh my God, what am I going to do? It's just sort of bemused and like, huh? Okay. And it's kind of left on this super ambiguous note. Yeah. Um, so you don't know what winds up happening at the end. Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe nobody's perfect and they right. just sort of go off into the sunset together. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 a fascinating movie because you've got the contrast. When I think a thing that I read while researching this, that I totally agreed with, is the way Billy Wilder kind of sets up a lot of the shots to kind of like almost reflect the idea of the male gaze. Right mm-hmm. when you first see them in drag, they do like the shot panning up from the feet, like up yeah. through the you know the legs and everything, which uh-huh. would be a total setup shot you would have for someone like Marilyn Monroe, yeah, who they cast as the you know, the, the paragon of like female, you know, femininity. Uh-huh. 
you know, so much that you got the train whistles blowing every time she goes past and stuff like that. So it's, it's a movie that's about gender. It's a movie that kind of plays with the idea of gender. And I think Jack Lemmon's character is the one who's sort of most transformed mm-hmm. by the whole charade that they go into and who knows where the hell it goes at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you would replace uh, mafia with woman, I think of a film where somebody has to pretend to be a criminal, pretend to be something right. and they get so enamored with the part that they, and they are happy that they're succeeding in playing the role. I think, uh, so I'll, you're, you're saying this is basically Donnie Brasco was basically <laughs> some likes it, some like some it like hop it, with I, the mafia. Yeah. But I, I love that film and I love, that choice. It does seem as much as we like to pretend that um, now is the time in which people are are uh, people who who choose for entertainment purposes, for their life purposes, to dress up like a somebody of the opposite sex is accepted. So not true. Think of like the 30s in, in uh, Weimar Germany or something, right. where you could go every corner. Oh, cabaret, a cabaret. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Michael, what do you got? My last one is Divine. I'm sure it's fantastic, but what is it? <laughs> I was kind of waiting for that. Uh, uh, it's the actor. Oh, divine. okay. Um, Harris Milstead was a actor who passed away, I guess, probably a little, I think, heart disease. Yeah. Can I start that over? That's an awful way to start. <laughs> That's awful. That should be my first note. Are you sure he, are you sure he My did, first note. He's dead. Dead. Are you sure he didn't die from eating poop? <laughs> I think that's how he died. Uh, Harris Milstead was a pretty famous, like a uh, drag queen who uh, actor performer who was kind of known for being kind of gruesome and kind of like <laughs> trashy and kind of like grotesque in his like performance. Mm-hmm. Like I think he reveled in it and uh, kind of exhibited through like the John Waters cult films of like the seventies and eighties as kind of like this person that he really kind of, uh, kind of clung on to in terms of like, oh, this is like the, the ideal countercultural person that I need to have in all of my films, like from the, uh, kind of his short films up and through his kind of, not quite, he didn't quite make it big yet, but like Mm -hmm. Flamingo Mm -hmm. or, uh, Pink Pink Flamingos and, um, uh, uh, Hairspray and, uh, probably would have played the like hatchet face role in cry baby. If, uh, if uh, he hadn't passed away mm-hmm. a few years prior, but he was a character that kind of like is the opposite of what uh, wasn't quite glamorous. A lot of these yeah. kind of uh, drag acts and, and people like have, we've kind of focused on is like this transformation into a glamorous mm-hmm. lifestyle, mm-hmm. a glamorous performance lifestyle, yeah. but divine was anything, anything, yeah. but he could kind of like, like in, Hairspray kind of looked pretty as like the mom. Yeah. But like everything else about divine was like very over the top. And yeah. I think you even see that, you know, there's like a camp factor to drag yeah. that kind of plays out in like these real big personalities. Mm-hmm. And he certainly did have that kind mm-hmm. of huge, larger I than I think life. in the world of John Waters, there wasn't much room for glamour. There were, everything was trashy. And yeah. <laughs> in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the, it was like the fun house version of glamour. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a really good way to put it. You know, it's interesting that, that divine wound up, you know, partially through hairspray, I think, which wound up sort of against all odds, becoming a mainstream, you know, film success before mm-hmm. anything else, even, um, 
you know, Divine wound up becoming sort of like a fringe mainstream celebrity. I remember having a role on Married with Children, I think. I seem to remember that. And like Divine would pop up on TV shows and which, talk shows and stuff, which was. Would he play like, um, oh, probably like, uh, what's her name's probably family. Yeah, I'm sure it was something like, like Pe- Peg's mom. Pe- or Peggy, thank you. Peg's mom or yeah. something like that. But. <laughs> Later on, yeah, Devan, someone who's someone who previously was most famous for eating dog shit yeah. on screen, yeah, wound up becoming like sort of a mainstream accepted, like sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. it's divine, and it, it's fucking wild, it's weird. Yeah. It even John Waters himself became the kind of uh, beloved raconteur, yeah, I mean, guardian angel to to Homer in uh, that episode of <laughs> with, the Simpsons with the hot steel workers, yeah, 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 yeah John Waters, America's cool but kind of creepy uncle yeah, yeah basically there's uh yeah there's definitely like um a kitsch factor to all of obviously john john uh waters films and she divine definitely came off as just just kitsch just yeah. like lived in the 50s in terms of like a big bouffant mm-hmm. hairstyle and big over the topness of it and yeah kind of just took up that space yeah that's interesting that the commentary that there were i think if 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 you're a drag performer and you're portraying uh, Betty Davis or Joan Crawford in the Baby Jane kind of era, you're not even pretending to be a woman. You're pretending to be this crazy faded film archetype that is so far removed from the identity of an actual living human being that it's it's drag is not even what I think you'd call it. It's it's almost like a. Uh, uh, just a costume or some kind of other kind of performance because it's so far removed from... It's like the difference between Welch's grape juice and an actual grape. There's n- really not much of the real stuff there. Richard, take the stage. It's your turn to shine. I find it interesting neither of us chose Milton Berle, oh. by the way. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad. Yeah. Because kind of fuck that guy. Right. You know, just... I almost mentioned him when with RuPaul because they had a very famous... Incident, I guess. Oh, really? TV Music Awards. It's like 97. Uh-huh. They came out to present an award together. And I guess Milton Berle was like a real dick backstage. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Milton Berle. Yeah. So real he's got dick. a big, big giant, giant yep. dick. That's a Milton Berle's dick joke. Mm-hmm. It was like a real asshole backstage. And they went out to do the award. And it just devolved into like he said something shitty to her. Mm-hmm. And she said something shitty back. And he tried to grab her boob. Oh, and God. she said something like, so you used to be drag and now you're in diapers, huh? <laughs> and it, it was just an ugly mess. Uh-huh. And Milton Berle is like the ugly, not not even literally the ugly side of drag, but it's like that's what we thought of as drag yeah. in the 50s. And I, I, this actually kind of plays into my last choice a little bit because it's like, that's sort of like you said, artifice, it's camp, it's but not in a fun way. It's like, isn't it funny? Look, he's playing a female. Yeah. That's sort of like her. Didn't Flip Wilson have like a yeah. female character? Geraldine. Geraldine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all this broad kind of gross mm-hmm. sort of like making fun of gay people. Uh-huh. Sort of, that is always kind of part of it. Yeah. Uh, my last choice was uh, is John Cameron Mitchell from the movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, okay. Playing the role of Hedwig. And it's... You know, a movie or the the play itself started in 98 and I think the movie came out four or five years later and it's, but it's literally decades ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. in terms of having conversations about non-binary gender roles. Um, 
it also got a really, really great soundtrack, like an incredible soundtrack. It's, I know we just talked about the Mount Rushmore soundtracks in a previous episode last week, I believe, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, and I sort of knew based on our schedule, I was taking, I was going to be talking about it here. If not, I would have picked the, probably the Hedwig soundtrack as one of my soundtracks. It's that good. I mean, it's one of the few, I think kind of rock musical soundtracks that actually rocks. Mm -hmm. It's not like kind of either it, it, it manages to be both a musical in a way that like the who's Tommy pretty much doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so many other like musicals that want to be rock musicals. It's still kind of yeah. just watered down uh, Broadway. Mm-hmm. It's a Broadway version of rock. And I think maybe it's because partially the way the character was developed. Uh, when John Cameron Mitchell was writing the play, he actually didn't think Hedwig was going to be the main character. Um, he based this character on a German uh, babysitter slash prostitute. Hmm. that he uh, his family had when he was a army brat in Junction City, Kansas. I don't know if you've ever been to Mr. Kansas. I have not been to Junction City. Apparently they got a lot of babysitters slash prostitutes there. <laughs> so you should probably go check it out. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so this was going to be like a secondary role to this character named Tommy, who was a lot more like John Cameron Mitchell, who was a army brat, somebody who was dealing, trying to find his sexuality, was wanting to be a performer, a theater type guy. And I'm glad that it changed because this Tommy character, like in the movie, he's played by Michael Pitt. He's a total drip. He is like a, a just a just a jerk of a character, oh. and not in a fun way. He's just kind of, kind of like a whiny teen mm-hmm. is what he kind of comes off like. And Hedwig's an awesome character. Yeah. Um, if you guys haven't seen the movie or the play, Hedwig is basically a teenage boy in East Germany who falls in love with a American serviceman who says, I can take you back to the U.S. and we can get married and get out of here. The only thing is you'll need to have a sex change operation to pass, you know, the medical test so we can come over. Test winds up getting botched, so it's kind of, that's the what the angry inch oh, okay. is. And then he, so then he flies over to the U.S. and then the Berlin Wall falls like six months later. <laughs> so he goes through all of this and he could have just left six months uh, later, yeah. right? And... Basically winds up becoming this, had grown up on, on glam rock, like listening to Bowie and Iggy Pop, like very much that kind of like playing off of their time in the, Mm -hmm. in East Berlin, you know, in the Mm seventies and winds up basically fronting this glam rock band, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm. And it's an amazing character because it's someone who's bitchy, funny, talented, angry, and bitter. It's even though it's a drag performance and even though it's definitely a very unique kind of character, it's also a character that's not stereotyped. There's, it's not a stereotypical sort of like, Oh, here's what a transsexual or trans, not Priscilla queen or two Wong Fu. It's not not something like that. Mm -hmm. It's actually showing this character as a real like character and, and through the whole, evolution of what this person having gone through this, what would that turn them into in the, I don't know if the play is like this, but I know in the movie, basically Tommy winds up, it's this boy, this kid in Kansas that she's babysitting like a teenager. And they wind up having like starting an affair and he winds up stealing all of her songs and becoming like this huge, like uh, Trent Reznor, David, uh, Billy Corgan type star. And she starts following him around with a band playing her songs Except she's playing like the, you know, dome. Yeah. <laughs> He's playing like the dome and she's playing the Bilgewaters restaurant. Yeah. Um, it's a great movie. If you guys, if anyone out there hasn't seen it, 
and just love rock and roll. I would 100% maybe the best movie also about rock and roll ever. Oh, cool. Hey, many, many changes, maybe many costume changes we went through through this. Changes. face the Spain. Okay. Uh, so, guys, thank you so much for all your great suggestions. It, it was we addressed the Mount Rushmore of drag. And I have the dubious uh, role of going through and trying to figure out which ones stand out to me. Um, I will give you each a point for Ru- RuPaul Charles. You both deserve it. It's probably the most ubiquitous uh, drag performer right now, and but one that's uh, um, very fitting. And uh, Nathan Lane, I really like that poll from Michael. And I really liked, Michael, that you chose a song. Andrew in drag. So is that four or is that three and a half? Three. Okay. Um, But uh, I am also going to go because it's a a much beloved film uh, with some like it hot. So there we go. All righty. There we go. (laughs) Guys, uh, thank you so much. This has been the Mount Rushmore of people in drag. I'm going to go. Good topic. Yeah. 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 Unexpectedly good. I'd like to get out of this girdle though. It's really kind of cinching me. I got to untape my schmeckle here. Insert a plopping (laughs) tune. Uh, I've been Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael.